This week, we'll be looking at pediatric trauma. There is a separate lecture on traumatic brain injury, which I did separate from this one because I did a lecture that's very extensive. I did not do the voiceover for it, but it's easy to follow and it has a lot of good information um, in it. Um, this, this presentation will go over um, thoracic and cardiovascular abdominal injuries. Um, in the text, there's also information on ophthalmic injuries, facial trauma, um, fractures of the extremities, spinal cord injury, and post-traumatic stress disorder. So please review all that. They're not included in this presentation, but they are uh, going to be included on the, um, on the exam in the final. So when we evaluate the pediatric patient, we're going to look at the primary and secondary survey. I'll talk about those in more detail. I'll go over cardiovascular and thoracic trauma as well as abdominal trauma. So when we look at the initial assessment and management, um, we have to be prepared for these patients. So usually when there's a phone call and there's an entire communication tree from um, first responders to the hospital, to let us know what's coming in. This allows us to triage those patients. So we'll triage the patients to determine who needs to come to our facility that needs the most urgent care um, or those patients with minor injuries, they can go to other facilities. Or if there's a mass casualty, we have to come up with a plan on where these patients are going to go so they can all get the treatment they need as fast as they need it. We'll talk about primary survey, we'll talk about secondary survey, resuscitation, and then I'll talk about some of the additional assessments you can use for both primary and secondary survey. And then we'll talk about the continuous monitoring and reevaluation, as well as some definitive care for these injuries. So now, again, with initial, initial assessment and management, we'll talk about preparation. So this is pre-hospital management. Your paramedics and your EMTs will be stabilizing patients out in the field. They'll be starting life-saving measures, whether that be CPR or fluid and volume resuscitation. And then as those injuries are discovered, they're communicating with the hospital, and we'll be, we will be preparing for issues. So if there is a child with a massive head injury, um, we'll make sure that the neurosurgeons are available in the trauma center, as well as the pediatric surgeons to treat these patients when they come in. And again, with triage, if multiple patients come in, we're going to sort those patients out with the most severe injuries first, and we're going to utilize the resources that we have available to treat them. And again, if we have multiple or mass casualties, we'll have to determine where these patients are going to be uh, triaged to. So now our primary survey, I look at the primary survey as the immediate problems, the immediate problems and things that you have to take care of right away. So when we talk about when a patient is not doing well, the first thing you're going to assess is their ABCs. So we're going to look at their airway. And with the, with the trauma patient, it's important to look at C-spine stabilization and make sure that that's stabilized and that we're protecting their C-spine. We're going to look for oxygenation and ventilation through their breathing patterns. We'll look at circulation and bleeding control. With disability, we're going to look at their neurostatus. So with the ABCDE approach of the primary survey, D for disability means we're going to check to make sure that they're awake and alert or they're not, and we're going to treat them accordingly to make sure that they stay safe. And the final assessment for your primary survey is your exposure or looking at elements of the environment. So for example, if the patient was found in an ice cold pool, that would be an exposure issue that we would have to worry about thermal, you know, they're having a a low temperature and how to you know warm them appropriately, or if they um, are covered in a substance and they need to be cleaned up or, or you know taken care of, we're going to look at those type of exposures. So the first part, we'll talk about airway. Here we're going to determine patency. We want to make sure that there's no broken teeth or debris in the mouth. We want to make sure that airway is open and they're they're that we're protecting their C spine. 
And then when we talk about a definitive airway, we want to make sure that their neurostatus is allowing them to breathe appropriately. So there is a saying in the trauma center that if their GCS is less than eight, you intubate. And this is for their airway protection because there's um, good information that supports that if your neurological exam is not good, being able to maintain that airway is going to be problematic. So they do this more so as a precaution to make sure that the airway is um, stabilized. When we talk about breathing, we want to make sure we have good oxygenation and ventilation. So we want to do a good physical exam, listen to the lungs. We want to know, we want to inspect the chest to see if there's any type of flail chest or broken ribs. We want to listen to the lungs to make sure that we have adequate breath sounds. And if we don't, we want to identify those to look for other injuries. We may need to do percussion. Um, and we're going to diagnose the most life-threatening issues first. So that's going to be your tension pneumothorax, your pneumothoraces, hemothoraces, flail chest. And of course, if you have any penetrating trauma, that may be the, that may be the most blatant injury. And we may have to um, treat so accordingly. Now with circulation, you're looking for blood loss um, so or hypovolemia. And then here we're going to assess their level of consciousness again. You know, are they, are they losing enough blood now that they're becoming lethargic and uptunded or confused? Um, and when we look at skin color, we're not just looking to see if they're warm and pink. We're also looking to see if there's any bruising anywhere. Because if you have bruising in the in the flanks, that could mean that there's significant blood pooling in the retro, retroperitoneal space. So you want to be able to look to see what, a, what type of injuries you have. Pulses, we're going to not only assess rate and regularity, but we also want to know the quality. Are they weak and thready? Are they bounding? Um, and then, of course, if we have a significant bleeding issues, we want to control that bleeding, whether it be through direct pressure or um, taking them to the operating room. Um, disability. So now we're our neuro exam. This is going to be a quick neuro exam. So we want to know their motor function and, and gross motor function, gross sensory function, their GCS. Again, because if it's less than eight, we're going to go ahead and put a tube in. And then we'll look at their pupillary response to see if there's any type of uh, intracranial involvement. And if there is, again, notifying and making sure neurosurgery is available um, to provide treatment if needed. Exposures, we want to remove their clothing. And not only just remove their clothing to inspect them, but remove their clothing to help warm them up or, or keep their temperature stabilized. Now, if there's a witnessed arrest um, for a patient that's a trauma patient, there may be um, protocols in your facilities that require you to, to keep them cool because there's good literature to support that um, active cooling for someone who's been in a witnessed arrest have good outcomes, significantly good neurological outcomes. Um, so we want to make sure that if that's the case, we're maintaining those protocols. And then we want to avoid extreme changes in temperature. So we don't want someone to get super hot uh, or super cold based on things that we're doing as far as treatment. So we want to make sure we maintain that body temperature. In addition to your primary survey, it's a <clears throat> good, um, good, good equipment to have available to you is your bedside monitor. So your ECG monitoring, pulse oximetry are going to give you good continuous data on what's going on with the patient. Uh, your Foley catheter, again, if you have a good intact um, uh, urethra, a Foley catheter being placed could actually tell you if you have um, urine output or not. You know, it could let you know that, you know, if you're not peeing for a while, there could be issues there. Um, NG tubes, OG tubes, um, really depending on what's going on with the injuries, you know, if there's uh, facial trauma uh, to the mid face or if there's a basal skull fracture, you want to avoid putting a nasogastric tube in, but you may have the opportunity to put an orogastric tube in to see if there's anything, any, any uh, blood contact in the abdomen, as well as being able to keep the abdomen de decompressed if in case you have to go to the operating room. 
And then for your primary survey, your quick radiographic studies are going to be helpful. So these would be um, items such as your fast exam with ultrasound or like a quick chest x-ray, those kind of things. Now, once you've completed your primary survey, then you move into your secondary survey. And your secondary survey is your complete head to toe. So this, I look as the secondary survey to me is more of the evaluating the entire picture, looking for all the minor injuries. This is where you will look for to see if there's an abrasion on the, on the extremities or if there's bruising in different places, because this can help you finer, um, uh, narrow down all your diagnoses for this, you know, this trauma patient coming in. You want to get a complete history. And with your secondary survey, it's not a one-time thing. There's often frequent reassessments. So if the patient comes in and, you know, you first do your secondary survey and you don't see bruising in the abdomen, and then you go back to reassess them, you might see bruising in the abdomen. This may be a small or, or significant bleed that's occurring in the, in the retroperitoneal or peritoneal space. So you always want to reassess the patients frequently um, while they're in the uh, trauma, trauma bay. So now when we look at our history, um, I'm sure many of you have heard the term of an ample history, and this is where we look to see if they have any allergies, if they're taking any medications, if they have a known past medical history, or if there's a pregnancy history, um, when their last meal was. Again, this is important if they're going to have to go to the operating room. And it's really important to know the events that are related to the injury. So what happened? So you'll often find that in the trauma centers or in the emergency rooms, it's most helpful to find out the mechanisms of injury. You know, was this child seatbelted or not seatbelted? Was this a bicycle accident with a helmet on or not a helmet on? Is this a coup, contra-coup type injury? Um, is this a shearing force injury? Is this a penetrating injury? Um, these are all so important to know when the patient comes in to determine um, what other injuries they could have that may not be right in front of you. Um, so starting your secondary survey, you start at the head. And you want to hands-on palpate the skull, looking for any types of deformities. Um, you're looking at the skin. You're looking at the hair. You're also looking to see if there's any bruising. So if you have battle sign, usually this is bruising around the temporal region of the skull. Um, it, you also want to look and inspect the face. So you're palpating um, the the bone, the bony prominences on the face. Again, looking for deformities and any bruising under the eyes um, can be uh, raccoon's eyes, which can indicate a basal skull fracture. You want to look to see that the C-spine immobilization is on properly um, and that it's maintained while the patient is in, as well as inspect the neck to look for any type of injuries, bony injuries, uh, penetrating injuries, crepitus, um, any, anything like that. On the chest, the chest uh, assessment, you want to chest the shoulder girdle for stability to make sure that you're not missing any type of, um, say, a, a collarbone fracture or sternal fractures. Um, you want to be able to palpate the ribs, look for any penetrating issues. Um, you want to assess um, their work of breathing, how well they're breathing. Um, going back to the neck, you want to check um, to see if the trachea is midline. You want to look for jugular vein, uh, neck vein distension. Um, and on the abdomen, when you move down to the abdomen, you want to look to see if there's any type of um, you know, visual bruising, any type of injuries to the abdomen, physical injuries. And then you want to be able to uh, inspect, auscultate, palpate, percuss the abdomen, looking for any type of abnormalities that may give you a hint as to what's going on. Moving down into the pelvic region, you want to make sure that you have good pelvic stability. You also want to assess the perineal area. So for, for little boys, you want to look to see if there's any blood coming from the, from the urethra, um, which may have you do a further evaluation to see if there's any type of urethral issues. Um, 
it also goes for the females. If there's any vaginal bleeding, you want to look for any further injuries there. All patients will get a digital rectal exam. And it's not just looking for um, uh, uh, direct injuries to the rectum, but more so for neurological. So if there's any type of neurological injuries, there may be a loss of rectal tone, which could be um, an indication to look further in their um, neurological exam. Uh, musculoskeletal injuries. Here, you're going to log roll the patient. You're going to look at their back. You're going to inspect the back. Again, looking for any type of deformities. Um, and then for your neurological exam, you're going to go do a more complete neurological exam. So this is doing your cranial nerve assessment, doing your deep tendon reflexes, looking for um, a detailed sensory uh, motor issues um, that may have been missed during the primary survey. And additional studies that can be helpful here. These are when you're going to order the the, the slew of different uh, x-rays. So you can order your your extremity x-rays if you're looking at bony uh, bony issues that you're concerned about fractures. Um, this is when they'll go off to CT scan looking for uh, either bleeds or, or um, uh, changes in um, uh, uh, intracranial pressure. They can also go for MRI if they're looking for any type of ischemic issues or angiographies as well. Now let's move into your thoracic trauma. So you can have two different types. You have both blunt and penetrating traumas. Your blunt traumas are more so from motor vehicle accidents. You can have falls, assaults, sporting events, or sporting injuries. Your penetrating traumas are usually those of projectiles. So it can be a bullet wound, uh, stabbing, or impalements. Um, there are a multitude of different types of thoracic trauma from simple pneumothoraces, hemothorax, tension pneumos, flail chest, uh, pulmonary, pulmonary contusions, tracheobronchial injuries, um, cardiac trauma, uh, disruptions of the aorta, or diaphragmatic injuries. So when we look at our thoracic trauma, again, we want to do our ABCs. We want to conduct a complete primary survey, treat those life-saving issues first, and then during our secondary survey, we're going to look for some of these other assessments. And with your tension pneumothorax, this would be the one that you'd be very concerned with. You have a collapse of the affected lung. You're going to have a mediastinal shift to the opposite mm -hmm. side. What that's going to do, it's going to cause a tracheal deviation to that opposite side. You'll have decreased breath sounds. You'll have uh, uh, neck vein distension. Patient may complain of chest pain. And then um, you want to go ahead and treat them as such. And I'll talk about that in just a second. Other types of thoracic injuries, you can have a simple pneumothorax, um, which is can be from both penetrating or non-penetrating injuries. injuries. Um, it can develop into a tension pneumothorax. And then we treat this with just a simple chest tube. And here these patients can get just a pigtail uh, um, to help relieve that uh, that pneumothorax. Now, hemothorax often require larger chest tubes or a thoracotomy, and that's due to the vis viscosity of the blood or the amount of blood that's in the space that needs to be evacuated. Now, to treat your tension pneumothoraces, um, one of the most um, important things to remember is you can make a diagnosis off your clinical findings. You do not have to wait for chest x-ray confirmation. You can also make some of these um, uh, determinations with just ultrasound. So the FAST exam here can be very helpful to identify if you have an issue with the uh, attention pneumo. Um, one of the easiest treatments that you should start on these patients, because they're going to need some form of evacuation of that tension, um, uh, air, air tension that's in the pleural space. Um, so you can do a quick needle decompression using an angiocath. It goes into the second intercostal space, mid-clavicular mid line. And you just put that in. And when I place these, I usually put the angiocath into that space and then connect it with a T connector to a stopcock. So you can actually open it and close it versus having to keep um, inserting the catheter into the patient. Now, if you're going to set up for a chest tube, 
Um, this can take a little while. So one of the easiest things you can do for uh, tension pneumothoraces um, is do the needle decompression first while someone's getting set up for the chest tube. Now, an open pneumothorax or a sucking chest wound, these are usually caused by penetrating traumas, um, <clears throat> often seen with gunshot wounds. Um, and this is where the um, pleural space um, equalizes pressure with the atmospheric pressure because now there's an open wound and air can actually enter the pleural space directly. This can lead to hypercarbia and hypoxia. And the easiest treatment for these patients is to take an occlusive dressing, tape up three sides, leave a fourth side open to allow it for a pop-off so that air that's trapped in the pleural space has um, a way to escape as the patient breathes. Um, you may have the opportunity to put in a chest tube. Sometimes you can put these patients on a chest tube with a flutter valve, and this is a one-way valve that allows the air out and doesn't let air back in. The flail chest is seen with multiple rib fractures. Um, they can be identified as having a paradoxical chest wall motion with breathing. Um, understand that they may have some underlying issues as well. They can have pulmonary contusion, which can lead to hypoxia. Here, these patients, you want to be able to support them, uh, optimizing their oxygenation and ventilation. You can do this easily with providing some analgesia for the discomfort. And if they have any fluid losses, helping them uh, replace those. Next, you can have um, another issue you can have with chest trauma is uh, cardiac tamponade. And this is where fluid is filling into, pericardi into the pericardial space. Um, this can be from both penetrating or blunt trauma. And in, in the average adult, there's only about five cc's of fluid in that pericardial space. So anything over that acutely can cause signs of tamponade. Um, here, you'll on physical exam, you'll have muffled heart sounds. You can have hypotension. Um, and you have a hypotension with a narrowing pulse pressure. If, go, if it goes untreated, they can, they can go into an arrest, which can lead into pul uh, pulseless electrical activity. Um, these are easily picked up diagnostically on bedside ultrasound because you have fluid around the heart. Fluid on ultrasound is going to be black, and it would be fluid. It could be like this black sac that's surrounding the, um, both the right and left ventricle, which can be problematic. To treat this, um, the first thing you can do as a bedside provider is give fluid boluses to help distend open the ventricles to allow for some cardiac output. And then while someone's preparing for cardiocentesis or thoracotomy, they'll go in and actually evacuate that fluid. Uh, pulmonary contusion um, is the most lethal chest injury. And this is just where you have a big bruise on the lung. And the real treatment for this is supportive care. So for smaller contusions, they just need, may need to be monitored and provided with some smaller airway assistance, or in severe cases, they may need to be intubated and put on mechanical ventilation. Now, our tracheobronchial tree injuries um, do have a very high mortality, um, and I've seen these with you know patients you know riding um, all-terrain vehicles you know at a very rapid pace, and they forget or don't see that they're they're approaching. Uh, some type of wire fencing, and then they get like a closed-lined injury to the to the tracheobronchial tree. Uh, tracheobronchial tree. Um, these patients come in very very sick, um, and it, it, it can be very involved surgical repairs. Um, the most recent one that I took care of was on ECMO for a period of time while the surgeons went in and, and did a surgical repair. Um, they may require chest tubes because air can enter into the mediastinal space um, or into the pleural space. Um, so be you should be prepared for that as well. Some cardiac trauma <clears throat> or blunt traumas can include um, myocardial muscle contusions, which can affect um, your overall cardiac function. 
Um, they can have cardiac chamber ruptures, valvular disruptions. Um, other cardiac issues is they can have aortic dissections, which also has a very high mortality. Um, <clears throat> the diagnosis is generally made with a C, uh, CT angiogram. Other thoracic trauma that we could see, and this is kind of thoracic as well as abdominal trauma, is a diaphragmatic injuries. And usually we notice this, um, it's easier diagnosed on the left side because the left side tends to sit a little bit lower normally on the compared to the right uh, hemidiaphragm. So when we're doing our x-rays, if we see a very um, high um, position of the left side, we can uh, assume that there might be some type of injury to the um, left side. Um, we can see this with both blunt and penetrating traumas. And another uh, helpful diagnostic tool is an upper GI or endoscopy to confirm. Now moving on to abdominal trauma, um, looking at the anatomy briefly, you know, you have your anterior abdomen, uh, your muscle, you know, abdominal muscles, as well as your skin, your flanks, and your back. And for your internal uh, anatomy, you have all your different organs, liver, spleen, pancreas, kidneys, intestines. And then you have your peritoneal cavity, your pelvis, and your retroperitoneal retro space. And uh, when we have our blunt traumas, this can be a direct blow to the abdomen, uh, shearing, acceleration, deceleration injuries, or again, it could be penetrating trauma, such as stab wounds or bullet wounds. When we look at abdominal exam, we want to get, again, a good history. And as I mentioned before, we want good inspection, auscultation, percussion, palpation. We want to do good pelvic compression to see if the, you know, the pelvis is stabilized. And again, a good peritoneal and rectal exam. Diagnostically, we want to look at our lab work. So we'll do a CBC, CMP. Um, you can do renal function, liver function tests, uh, type and cross. Um, again, that NG tube is going to be contraindicated for anyone with mid-face injuries or basal skull fractures. And again, before placing any Foley's, we want to assess the, um, the urethral to, for, for any type of injuries down there as well. And then our radiographs would be our um, KUBs looking for free air or free fluid into the abdomen. You could do a peritoneal lavage, which is a quick entry into the peritoneal space, lavaging it out to see if there's any, any blood in that space um, to tell if there's any type of direct injury to the organs there as well. Um, ultrasound, again, of course, plays a very um, effective role in the trauma center. So you can do a fast exam looking for abdominal bleeding, not, uh, either from the liver, the spleen, or any fluid that's collecting in the retroperitoneal space. Um, you can identify um, uh, free air, free fluid in those spaces as well. Um, the CT scan is, is, is quick, uh, a diagnostic study to help you determine if there's any type of bleeding. And then, of course, we can do some contrast studies such as the... Uh, uh, uridogram, uh, your uridogram, cystogram, or an IVP. And again, with your abdominal injuries, you can have an injury to the diaphragm. Your hollow organs, um, you can have ruptures or contusions. Your solid organs, you can have lacerations to the spleen, liver, kidney, or pancreas. Uh, pelvic fractures, um, again, these can be stable versus unstable. Um, they can have a significant amount of blood loss. I believe you can have several liters of fluid in the retroperitoneal space um, before seeing actual signs of bruising um, to that area. Uh, and of course, you want to be able to stabilize those um, fractures um, with proper splinting, um, and they may even require surgical intervention pretty early on. And then finally, any type of genital urinary um, issue should be suspected if you have any type of pelvic fracture. So if you have a pelvic fracture, commonly they have genital urinary issues as well. All right. This is the end of this uh, presentation. Uh, please make sure you review the traumatic brain injury uh, presentation as well um, and have a good week.